Blog Talk Radio. I've been trying to find you Been looking high and low Wanting you more and more To come in dirty wine yeah. I love the way you move Like how you doing what you're doing you, you got me hypnotized Got me all in my mind I'm trying not to lose it Your body, body, body Drop it down low Then you pick it up I want it, want it, want it I want you so bad I can't get enough your body, 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 ooh, got me in my feelings Girl, you're a star, that's what you are You know, you know, you're doing something to me Got my emotions on a roller coaster ride Yeah, this thing's going on between us Something I can't fight I've been trying to find you. Cause I've been trying to find you. Been looking high and low, wanting you more and more to come and dirty wine. To come and dirty wine. Yeah. I love the way you move. I, I love the way you move. Like how you doing what you do. Like how you doing what you do. You, yeah, you yeah. got me hypnotized, got me all in my mind. I'm trying not to lose it. 
your body, body, body. Tell me about the big, I don't even care. No. I want it, want it, want it. I want you to myself, I don't want to share. I don't want to share. Your body, body, body. Ooh, got me in my feelings. Girl, you're a star. My emotions on a roller coaster ride. Roller coaster ride. Yeah. This thing's going on between us. Oh. Something I can't find. Not tonight. Not Welcome. Um, 
President Biden and his wife and Kamala and her husband. I mean, it's, it's just been great. It's been awesome experience to a whole vibe. Would you say? I would say the inauguration oh, was a whole vibe. It really was. And it was like a really an all-day sigh of relief. You yeah. know, it's like the there's adults in the room now. <laughs> and you know what I like to see in the White House? I mean, and and... Don't send me no emails. I'm about to say this. Even with President Bush and all of his flaws, him and his wife mm-hmm. love each other. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Him and Laura, they, mm-hmm. they brought love to the White House. Right. Barack and Michelle brought love to the White House. Mm-hmm. And Biden and Michelle, they bring love to the White House. I love to see that. I love to see... Um, are presidents who are the most powerful men, but they have no problem saying, listen, this one right here, she did it. You see me Mm -hmm. here, it's because she did this, you know, and Mm -hmm. and they love their wives and they don't have a problem showing that they love their wives and they show it to the world and they show them how Mm -hmm. to treat their wives. I just love it. I I love the, the, just the family, you know, the grandbaby. It was just, it was just a whole It's true. And I actually said the same thing yesterday, Leash. You know, it's like you can feel the 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 love between them. You can feel the the friendship, the respect between them and and it comes through and it's and it's authentic. You know, it's not for a camera prop, you know, and it's it's just something that people love love, bottom line, you know, Uh and it's just it was just so refreshing to see. Absolutely. Um, at work, you know, I work in the call center, but customers all day were excited. I mean, literally, they were like, oh, my God, this has been a great day today, you know, but I hate to say that I'm missing some things out of my order because uh, this day has been so great <laughs> for me. I mean, like, literally excited. Mm-hmm. Uh, one lady mm-hmm. said, are you excited about today as much as I am? I said, you like the third, fourth person that said that to me. I am? I said, yes, everybody is very excited. <laughs> mm-hmm. It was like a weight was lifted off the world, off the country. And other countries saw it, too. And I'm sure they felt the weight lifted off as well. You oh, know, it's absolutely. like America. America is back. <laughs> absolutely. And, and listen, they felt the weight back in December. Because they was like, they were already calling. And he had, they had to say, listen, we can't take your calls. But we know that you're calling. They were calling. They were ready. They were excited. They were like, listen, mm-hmm. let's, let's get it. And I love how he got right to work. Like he knew right what work. he was going to do already. All mm-hmm. that stuff was on it. Let's just have it all up there. I'll take care of it when I get there. But this is what I want to do today. And, they, and he made mm-hmm. sure that is what he did on that day. I love it. I love it. And his wife, listen, Dr. Jill is amazing. We have another mm-hmm. a professional woman in the White House. I love to be able to see um, Michelle and Hillary and uh, because and even Laura Bush, I believe Laura Bush was a teacher. Mm-hmm. Because it shows girls that, you know, outside of your husband, you can do so mm-hmm. many amazing things. And each of those mm-hmm. ladies did amazing things outside of the fact that their husbands are president. 
Right. That's so true. And you know what was most powerful? To see the three presidents there supporting him, uh-huh. supporting Biden. That was such a powerful look right there. And from different parties, you know, both parties were there. And they were genuine in the respect that they have for each other. It's like a special club that you're on the outside looking in. <laughs> the president. Absolutely. But you know what? I love to see. I be here for it. George Bush. You know he gonna find Michelle Obama wherever when they get together. You remember like when you were in He loved him Michelle. He loved him so Michelle. I love it. They friendship, they be passing candy. Remember back in the days when you be at church and you know, or you sitting somewhere and if somebody break out some candy, they can say hand deep down to the side like you mm-hmm. You can see them mm-hmm. like just cutting up. I bet they just cut up. At any event that they are at, they the his I wife probably it. like shh, she probably be tapping him like shh. <laughs> and him and Michelle just be cutting up and she be here for the shenanigans. Candy and Michelle, I, sure. <laughs> I bet you they like they got a text or listen. What candy you bringing today? Oh, that you got okay. I love it. I love to see. The friendship that has grown between George Bush and Michelle Obama. That is just like the cutest thing. I mean, because it, it reminds me of that's how friends do. You guys are sitting somewhere, somebody got candy, you flipping it to your mm-hmm. friend. Like, if I got candy, you got candy. Like, or, it's, and just, it's just that one of the things. Like, pass this, pass this down, pass it down. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. It's like, listen, no, that's not for you, that's for her. No, that's not for you, that's for him. I love. Yeah, I love their friendship. I love to see that. So this has been a great day just just in America. I'm excited about the next four years. I know it's not going to be easy. I know it's going to be some hard things that are have to be done. But uh, yesterday, just it was just beautiful. It just really was a beautiful day. It was. It really was. And now it's like he's ready to get to work. And I love, I don't know if you saw the press conference, but Fauci's like, we were told if we don't know the answers, don't lie, don't guess. Let's be real, transparent. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. I don't think he's here for no shenanigans. Listen, if you don't know, please don't act like you know, because I'm not trying exactly. to uh, be embarrassed because you did not do what you were supposed to do. You know, I, I, can, I can feel that from him. Like, listen, don't get up here have me looking crazy now. If you don't know, <laughs> have a seat. They seated, don't get up. <laughs> don't don't say what you don't know. I love it. Absolutely. <laughs> but let's open up the show, T. Let's open up the show. Y'all know we get once on here. Again. We get to chatting. <laughs> I know, right? Well, once again, welcome to Let's Chat. My name is Miss Tony, and I got my one and only partner over there, Miss Lisa. We are the ladies of Let's Chat. And for those that may be joining us for the very first time, welcome. We're so glad you're spending some of your time with us. But here on Let's Chat, we celebrate the dopeness, the royal way, no matter what it may be. You know, we our show allows our guests to share their passion about their purpose, because we never know who is on the other line of our of our audience that may need a word, and then words are dropped in the chat room constantly. So make sure you guys go back and check our archives because there are plenty of jewels in those those the, that chest. It's just full of jewels from the guests that have been here on this chat. But we Absolutely. just share their passion. 
We love sharing that passion. And um, no matter what it may be, tonight's guest list is a reflection of that. You know, we have authors coming on, publishers, lawyers, doctors, actors, you know, you name it, they have been through the doors of us chat. So we hope you guys are ready for another great show. You know, Risha always gives up a great title for our show, and tonight's <laughs> headline is 3D Vision. I can only imagine, Leash. What that? What, what you got going on with that? I mean, I try to always think, make sure that we aren't um, duplicating, but when you think about 3D, you think about um, what it does and, and, and just in general how it looks like. That's life. Life we see in 3D. Um, and you have to make sure that you are moving with purpose because in 3D, it has every dimension is literally there, you know, and you have to make sure that when you're moving around and you're doing the things that you're doing and, and no matter what profession you're in, no matter what, uh, if you're an author, no matter what you're doing, you got to move with purpose strategically, um, to mm-hmm. make sure that your vision is put together properly so that when people even start to see a, a portion of it, they get excited about what you got going on. Right. right. So true. And then no matter what it is, they can see the passion. They can feel the passion. You know, it's palpable. So I'm going to be excited to hear what I guess have to say about that because it, it can apply to anything, Lisa. Absolutely. And we have our first fabulous guest. He is here in the chat room to come and kick it with us. Dr. Natelli. Is that correct? Nutitelli. That's close enough. Well, good evening, Ms. Tony and Leisha. Happy Thursday. And I hope your listeners are both COVID and internet safe. Happy Thursday from Brooklyn. Happy Thursday. Yes, I love it. Well, we love that you are here on the show. Uh, um, I want you to tell everybody just a little bit about yourself and your journey uh, through cyber. Okay. Well, first and foremost, my name is Michael Nucitelli. I am a New York State licensed psychologist. I live and work here in beautiful Brooklyn, working with the chronically mentally ill. I'm chief psychologist of a a professional limited liability company called MN Psychological Services, and we provide psychotherapy and counseling to the chronically mentally ill at adult care centers here and some other places. But for the reason why, uh, and by the way, please thank you for having me on and giving me the opportunity to introduce my concept called I Predator. But the reason why I'm talking to you tonight is hoping, hoping to apart a little bit about my concept called iPredator. And what iPredator is, very simply, is an online assailant concept that originally I thought in 2008, immediately after uh, Steve Jobs came out with the Mm -hmm. iPhone with the lowercase i, well, Mm -hmm. I was a forensic psychologist back then. I had written a concept called Dark Psychology. Maybe we can talk about that at a different show. But soon after that, I realized to myself, the little light bulb goes off in your head. Well, where better would the criminal, the pedophile, the depraved, essentially the evil, where best to go would be cyberspace. 
because yeah. in cyberspace you can you can practice what I call the veil of anonymity. Uh, Ms. Tony Leisha, I could essentially set up a profile and I could say I'm a 25-year-old handsome young single man that maybe you want to meet at the local mall or a pub down the road, and that's how it all begins. So the beauty of cyberspace is that I can present myself however I want. Mm. Absolutely, and, and and we call that catfishing. Well, the, uh, that is cat. Yes, that is one <laughs> tactic that's used. So essentially, if I may, very quickly. So I predator to know if you, your loved ones, or anybody that you come in contact with, is an I predator. Very quickly, it's three criteria. Uh, do you want me to give them real quick? Yes. Sure. Okay. Well, the first one, obviously the most obvious, is the usage, the use of information communication technology to obtain, tamper with, exchange, or deliver harmful information. So whether you're using the telephone, whether you're using email, whether you're using social media, text messaging, that is what information communication technology is. So it's the use of that communication technology. Number two is a self-awareness. If I know I'm causing you or someone else harm directly or indirectly using information technology, I have that self-awareness that I'm causing you harm, that is criteria number two. And then number three is what I call cyber stealth. And what cyber stealth is, very basically, it's so it's online deception, but it's a little bit more. You had brought up catfishing. Well, as we know, catfishing <laughs> involves a lot of online deception. So, But cyber stealth is online deception, but it's also developing a strategy in order to be able to – I don't want to use a legal term or a political term – plausible deniability – where if I'm good enough, I can set up my attack so that if I'm identified, I can say, you know, Ms. Tony, Ms. Alicia, that wasn't me. That wasn't Dr. Mike who was cyber-stalking you, and here's my little bit of proof. So that is cyber-stealth. So if a person meets those three criteria in my book, they're an iPredator. Absolutely. Now, I want to go back. This is Alicia. We have to mention our names because we sound so much alike. Um, but I want to go back because we're not going to let you just fast forward past the fact that you were a forensic psychologist and now you mm-hmm. are a mental psychologist. So we love to talk about a goal moment here. And a goal moment is when thought and execution come together. Most of the time, we're very mindful about how we pour into other people and the things that we do for other people. But when it comes to ourselves, we normally deal in lack. Um, and we give ourselves excuses on why we can't do something at that point in time. Um, what was that moment like when you decided to make that change from forensic psychology to mental health? Well, I, I've always – my doctorate degree is in clinical psychology. So after mm-hmm. I got my doctorate degree, I have – essentially, even before my doctorate degree, from the age of 17, I'm now in my mid-50s, I have always worked in what's called behavioral health care. So then mm-hmm. I went to school. I got my doctorate degree. And after I got my doctorate degree, I was working in behavioral health care and mental health. But my passion has always been, even – Prior to my earlier years, I've always been fascinated what religious call, uh, folks would call evil, uh, criminologists would call psychopaths, essentially the criminal mind. 
So in essence, I've always been fascinated with the criminal mind, uh, and this is why I wrote Dark Psychology, a concept back in 2006, back when I was a forensic psychologist working in the courts. And as time has gone on, my passion has moved into the cyber criminal mind. In fact, I believe there should be a new field, not just criminal psychology, but cyber criminal psychology. Because what I believe is that, you know, to, to me, information communication technology, social media, and all this technological stuff uh, are tools for the criminal uh, but to me, it, there's, there's a new layer, okay? Cyberspace, what is the definition of cyberspace? Cyberspace is an abstract, artificial, digital universe. It's not real. But uh -huh. yet, for some mm -hmm. reason, us humans, we think it's real, we perceive it as real, and as you all know, uh, even right now, dealing online, most of us spend most of our waking life now online. Some uh -huh. recent research is, you know, that children can spend anywhere from 6 to 12, 15 hours, if they're gamers, online every day. Yeah. Now with the COVID and, you know, uh, virtual learning environments, children are spending an inordinate amount of time online. So uh -huh. to me, we live in the information age, and what's happening is we are slowly but surely, I believe, becoming disconnected. We're spending yes, more time with our face in front of a computer screen or using a cell phone as opposed to me and you hanging out in a, in a park somewhere. And uh -huh. that's where we are. So I always say this, welcome to the information age. Absolutely. Wow. Now, Dr. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to get this right. Oh, wait, wait. How about you just call Mr. me Michael? How about Michael? Okay, Michael. There okay, you Michael. go. Much easier. <laughs> This is Tony. You know, with with us having gone through COVID nineteen for almost a year now, and most of us, as a result, have been inside, isolated, and sometimes by ourselves. We've had to come to kind of know ourselves. You know, we've been forced to know ourselves. Have you seen any uptake in these type of issues? You know, regarding cyberbullying and criminal, cyber criminal, criminality. Have you seen a, a uprise within the last well, that, year that, regarding that's that? An ex, that's an excellent question. Unfortunately, at least, as I said, I live here in Brooklyn. I work in Brooklyn. And even mm -hmm. we are still within the COVID pandemic where, as you know, in many states and many areas, quarantine and, you know, mandatory, if I may say, isolation uh, mm -hmm. is still going on. The predictions mm -hmm. and what folks are saying, including myself, uh, we won't know for a year or two after the pandemic, yeah. after COVID has, you know, ceased mm -hmm. and desisted. But I can mm -hmm. almost guarantee, I mean, I can't stake my degree on it, but I can almost guarantee when the research comes out a couple years down the road, they will show that there, is an inc there was an increase in cyberbullying, cyberstalking, cybercrime. Uh, you know, and then the worst of the worst of my categories is online child predators and online child pornography consumption uh -huh. and distribution. So Absolutely. of the eight types of iPredators, seven of the eight, I'm, I'm 
assuming, unfortunately, there will be it'll be shown that there was a significant increase due to folks being quarantined. And as we know, being quarantined, being isolated, for many of us, we experience anxiety. Then you yeah. throw on top the 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 side effects of quarantine and the shutdowns where losing work, finances, all of that creates an enormous amount of stress. And for some people, mm -hmm. the way they deal with stress is through frustration, anger, and lashing mm -hmm. out. So this Absolutely. is where I think we're going to see an increase in cyber attacks down the road. Absolutely. Now, Michael, I, I, I want to just piggyback off of that. And because we're seeing an increase in um, not just suicide amongst adults, but amongst children. Children uh -huh. are not really handling uh, the pandemic well. What are some things that parents can do to help their children cope during this time? Because really this is kind of like being on punishment, you know, for them. When they're on punishment, can't go outside, you can't do anything, but now you can't do it because we don't want you to get sick. And I don't think they're they're handling this transition very well. What are some things parents can do? Well, if I may first address, because you mentioned children, of the eight categories of online aggressors, the eight types of iPredator, Cyberbullying is the one that is pediatric. Cyberbullying is child-on-child -child cyber attacks. The mm -hmm. adult forms uh, of cyberbullying would be cyber harassment, internet trolling, and cyber stalking. But getting back to children and cyberbullying, particularly when you mention suicide, even outside of COVID, prior to the COVID pandemic, and as we, all of us right now, we are at the beginning of a period of history called the information age. They say the information mm -hmm. age began somewhere in the late 70s, and then mm -hmm. the Internet birthday is 1983. So in a nutshell, we're 40 years into a period of history that could last at least another three to four centuries. But we, as, as the United States of America and in all industrialized nations who have social media and information technology, is the concept called cyber bully side. And you mm -hmm. brought up cyber bully side is when a child takes his or her life because she's being, he or she is being targeted online. They're being mm -hmm. cyber bullied. So cyberbully side is a phenomena that never existed in the pre-information age world. Now, teen suicide existed, but now when you take into consideration COVID, then you throw in cyberbullying, we now have an increase in teen suicide. But yeah. getting back to your question related to COVID, the pandemic, uh, you know, what parents can do is first and foremost, and this applies almost to all children. Now, we know genetic temperament, and some children are private, some are extroverted, some are introverted. But the first thing you want to look for, particularly in this pandemic, is a change in behavior. So mm -hmm. if a child is starting to behave differently than they normally do, that is not necessarily a red flag, but should bring a parent to a point where they say, huh, I better, you know, eh. another thing uh, can be looked into is the amount of time they're spending online. Because what we're now mm -hmm. seeing is called Internet Use Disorder and Internet Use Gaming Disorder, a.k.a. Oh. 
internet addiction. Mm-hmm. That in itself is something new to information age society. Obviously, in a pre-information age world, we had alcohol and drug addiction. We had gambling. We had, you know, there were all the other addictions. But now what we're dealing with is Internet addiction. So if a parent mm-hmm. is seeing a child uh, not so much isolate, but isolate, but a change in behavior, uh, and then also spending all of their time online, that is when a parent needs to become proactive and begin to ask questions, to sit down, and to begin to probe to see if their child's okay. I agree. Wow. I agree. I have a question, Dr. Michael. This is Tony. You know, sure. um, every 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 Saturday I go to the hairdresser, and one of the stylists there is a teacher. And uh-huh. I always hear these horror stories about how, as a result of online learning, the children have just become so out there. I mean, the behavior, yep. the language, the, the bullying. Desensitized, how, yeah. Right. What would you tell teachers that may be listening? You know, well, and, and, and it just gets worse and worse. What would not you tell to toot my own horn, because I am a student, <laughs> but of uh, the eight categories of iPredator, cyberbullying is the one uh, category I've spent most time, obviously because it involves children. But mm-hmm. if anybody, you know, at the end I'll tell you, everything at my website is free, public domain, no attribution has to go to me. But if you look under my 42 examples of cyberbullying, one cyberbullying mm-hmm. tactic is called VLE cyberbullying. And I wrote mm-hmm. that several years ago, which is virtual learning environment cyberbullying. Wow. Being in a pandemic, I'm not prophetic. I am not the smartest, uh, you know, I'm not the, uh, what is it, the sharpest tack in the box. But, you know, <laughs> I knew that this was coming, and it's it, the pandemic has only accelerated, particularly with mm-hmm. virtual learning. Uh-huh. Children are able to go online and in online classrooms. If there are not moderators or a teacher monitoring from beginning to end, children are naturally going to do what they would be doing in, you know, whether it be Instagram. Well, that's a little bit. Snapchat is big for the children right now. And this mm-hmm. is what goes on. But virtual learning environment, it's one of my cyberbullying tactics, which is what you know ways that cyber bullies target the cyber bully so it is definitely mm. a problem in relationship to teachers i don't want to sound corny but i believe that the united states it should become an educational compulsory requirement as a part of whether it be middle school or high school where children take a class. Like, for instance, I'm in my 50s, so when I was a kid, I had to take wood shop and I had to take metal shop, which are cool, mm-hmm. you know, and I also had to take health class, okay? I still mm-hmm. remember eighth grade health class. His name was Mr. Model. He was such a cool guy, all right? And we were introduced in health class, uh, you know, the dangers of alcohol and drug abuse, responsible alcohol and drug abuse, not that they favored it then, but then also the introduction of safe sex, okay? What I believe needs to happen now, we all live in the information age. Children are not only enveloped, but many are dependent on their cell phones and social media that it needs to be introduced and children need to be introduced to how to conduct oneself in cyberspace, digital citizenship, and cyberbullying prevention. 
this needs to become an educational requirement in all schools across the country so kids are introduced to what they're dealing with on a daily basis. I love it. Absolutely. And I think, I honestly think they should have um, a psychologist that is into the forensics and into the mental at every school. Like every school should have one. Like they got a school nurse. They should have one that really understands. Um, Well, you bring up a good, there are, as you know, there are guidance counselors, there are school psychologists, but unfortunately, again, I don't know the entire nation, you know, but most of them are not privy to or not discussing. In fact, so at the end of 2016 and 2017, in full day trainings, I presented to this, the psychological associations to the states of Colorado and Vermont. So you put them all together. I don't know. There were 60, 70, 80 psychologists, some attorneys so in full day trainings, you know. And what I presented to them, and I don't want to, when I asked everybody to raise their hand, how many of you actually ask when you have a new new client, a new patient that comes in, when you do your biopsychosocial assessment, your data collection, how many of you actually ask about their online lives? That's Embarrassingly, right. I'm not going to tell you how many actually raise their hands um, because that's my industry. But what it comes down to, even my industry does not address that we're living mm-hmm. in the information age. So, for yeah. instance, when a, when a patient comes in, it is paramount to ask them if they've ever been cyber attacked, if they are a cyber attacker, and are they a bystander, particularly as it relates to children, uh, to cyberbullying? Uh, are they, how much time do they – are they Internet addicted – we live, ladies, we live in the information age, but yet we act as if we live in a pre-information age world. And it makes no right. sense to me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You are so very right. And I love it that you're able to to come on different platforms and talk about this because that uh, – it it's obviously something that is not um, being taken serious to understand um, how serious uh, the internet is and social media. I watched a um, documentary on Netflix. It was the social dilemma. Yep. And it, and it talks about Excellent. social media and how it, how it really works. And what they want us to, I mean, they went all the way through. They, they talked about AI, they, but, and I always tell clients to watch it because you want to know how they're using social media because correct. when you're marketing, you need to know how to use social media to your, to, to your best um, effect. And so, but when I watched that, I was like, listen, there's some seriousness going on and we, we got to start paying attention. Well, I, I, if I may, um, since writing iPredator, like I said, I originally thought of iPredator 2008. I, mean, I don't like to write, but I knew I had, you know, 2009, I actually, you know, started to write it. 2010, I officially wrote the concept. It's at my website. 
But it was also then, so for the last decade, after working on the weekends, I have volunteered providing, you know, a confidential phone help to people, to organizations, to attorneys, doctors, you know, but also to the mom and pops that are, 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 are living, you know, day to day. Mm-hmm. And the biggest problem I hear, and, you know, and again, everything is anecdotal. I, I don't keep statistics because everything is volunteer. It's, you know, confidential. Um, the vast majority of people who call me for help, and this is what gets me so frustrated, the vast majority of them have been told by their loved ones, okay, and the system that they're being melodramatic, that they're being crazy to turn it off, delete it, move on, don't pay attention. So what we're seeing is is victim shaming times five, worse than I've ever heard mm. before. And when people yeah. thank me, after, and as silly as this, they thank me. You know why? Because I listened and I believe them. Unfortunately, the vast majority of folks who are calling me, not so much that they're not being believed, but the victimization, the, the, the trauma that they're experiencing from being cyber-stalked or harassed or trolled mm-hmm. is minimized. So the, mm-hmm. their concerns fall on deaf ears. When they go to the courts, the courts don't want to do anything about it unless you have evidentiary black and white proof. Law enforcement, right. God bless them. It's the same thing with them. But then when you're looking at the loved ones, and even when the loved ones are conscientious and caring, they basically say, turn it off, delete it, or maybe you're, you, you need to adjust your psychiatry. Maybe you need to be on medication. What's, un- mm-hmm. what's unfortunate, ladies, is that we've got to get to the point to understand that, okay, when a person is stalked offline, Yes, it's traumatizing, but when a person is cyber-stalked, again, this is only my belief, it can be more traumatizing. Not only people who are stalked tend to be also cyber-stalked, but just cyber-stalking itself, which is defined as a threat of of physical harm directly or indirectly, repetitively, Uh I believe it is more stressful, it is more traumatizing to the victim when cyber stalking occurs as opposed to just straight offline stalking. If you think about cyber stalking, and again, I'm not minimizing stalking. <laughs> stalking is bad. But stalking, right. when it occurs, you can see the person. You can you can mm-hmm. use your five senses. But with cyber stalking, oftentimes you may not know who it is, and, and most times right. you do know who the, the eye predator is, but sometimes you don't. And the other piece that is so fear-provoking is the unpredictable nature of being cyber-stalked, not knowing when it's going to happen, how it's going to happen. And the other thing that happens with cyber-stalker, uh, they just don't call you. They call you, your loved ones, your job, Uh your church. They call every institution, every aspect of your system to defame you, to try to get in touch with you, you know, depending on their profile. So to me, the the experience is just, if not more, traumatizing than being offline stalked. Absolutely. Absolutely. We come up. 
Mm-hmm. I know, I know. It's it's just and it's mm-hmm. getting out of hand. I thank you so much, Tony, and I appreciate you from coming on today, talking that talk with us, getting getting the facts out so that people are more mindful and starts paying attention uh, to social mm-hmm. media and how it's being used amongst their family, especially during the quarantine. We want you to shout out all of your social media where everyone can get your book and any events you have coming up. Okay, well, I don't have a book. Uh, my, my website in and of itself could probably uh, be three books. So, again, the website <laughs> is ipredator.co. That's C-O, no M after the, uh, after the dot C-O. So it's mm-hmm. ipredator.co, uh, dot net, or dot org. Uh, if you go there, uh, it's a huge website. I have, I believe, 28 checklists and inventories, assessments, you know, I have pages among pages dealing with Internet trolls, cybercrime. All of it is free to, to print, to share, to download. All my content mm-hmm. is public domain. Uh, you don't have to give me attribution. Uh, you don't have to even give an email address to download my stuff. All I mm-hmm. ask is for people to just once in a while, <laughs> you know, think about it. If you're a parent occasionally, at least once a week, spend 15, 20 minutes. You don't have to like my stuff, albeit I've got plenty on cyberbullying and online child predation, but Google, use Mm -hmm. a search engine and look at cyberbullying prevention or Internet safety for parents. Spend a little time learning so that you can help educate your child. If you're an adult uh, and you're in business, is to learn about Internet defamation, uh, you know, character assassination, because adults, Mm -hmm. ladies, (laughs) you know, today, you know, people are targeting one another and saying the most horrific things about one another. So that's that's my little uh, end of uh, interview spiel. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we appreciate you. So yes, much, Dr. Michael. We thank you for all that you do. Uh, we want you to always know that you are welcome here on Let's Chat anytime. We would love to have you. Absolutely. Okay. Well, thank you and God bless. Thank, thank you. Stay safe. Have a great night. All right. Bye-bye. Such powerful information, Lise. It's so apropos yes. to the times that we're living in. Yes. And then you think about when he said he wrote his book, and that was in the 80s, it's like, listen, we got to start paying attention because it's really getting serious right now. We want to thank you guys for tuning in uh, to Let's Chat. If you're just tuning in and you missed our first interview, no worries. Head over to our archives uh, here at blogtalk.com as well as iTunes and iHeartRadio as well as any podcast app, you'll be able to uh, stream Let's Chat Radio. We have our next fabulous guest in the chat room, uh, author Steve Snyder. Okay, that's the name we can pronounce. (laughs) Hi there. How are you doing? We We are are good. good. We are good. Great to hear. Now, Mr. Snyder, we want you to just tell everybody just a little bit about yourself and your literary journey. Okay. <laughs> well, uh, I really didn't have any uh, uh, 
writing training or, or background at all. I had a 40-year career in sales and sales management. I worked uh, the last 36 years for a company called Vision Service Plan, VSP. And then I retired in 2009. Um, and growing up, I knew the basic of my dad's World War II history. Uh-huh. I knew he was a B-17 bomber pilot. Uh, he was stationed in England with the 8th Air Force. His uh, plane was named the Susan Ruth after my oldest sister, who was one year old at the time that he went overseas. And he flew bombing missions over uh, Europe. And on February 8th of 1944, his plane was shot down, and he was missing in action for seven months. But he evaded capture and made it back to England. And when I retired, that's when I had time really to delve into my dad's war history in more detail. And at that time, I had no intention of writing a book. Uh, My parents had kept a lot of information from the war years, and I just wanted to go through that and organize it, uh, learn more details. And there were two items that were really uh, significant. One was a diary that my dad wrote while he was missing in action in Belgium. And uh, it's about his plane being shot down. This is absolutely riveting that's in the book. And the other were all the letters that my dad wrote to my mother while he was stationed in England before he was shot down. And reading those letters was just fascinating, and I became fascinated with the story of my dad and his uh, his crew. And uh, I started doing all this research, uh, went on the Internet, and spent countless hours uh, doing research, downloading declassified military documents, and read book after book about the air war over Europe and I uh, went on a quest to contact various members of his crew, relatives of his crew, uh, and uh, see what they, what information they could give me. And finally, three years into my research, I just came to the conclusion that the story of my dad and his crew was so unique and so compelling that people needed to know about it. And uh, so I decided to write a book. Hmm. That's fascinating. Um, this is Tony, uh, Stephen. You know, we try to identify who we are because Alicia and I sound so much alike we've been told. <laughs> but my question to my question to you is also, like I said, it's fascinating. But do you feel that had your father not been a bomber pilot or how to is it a pilot bomber, had he not been that, would you still have been would this still have been the journey you take? No. No. Uh uh-uh. uh. Mm, no, really? No, that, uh, as I said, you know, I, uh, I'm not a writer by, by profession mm-hmm. and, uh, it is, uh, it's, it's just his story and, uh, what he, and not only he, but, uh, the men in the eighth air force who flew bombing missions over what's, what they endured and, uh, <laughs> the danger in that is just uh, unbelievable. I was always interested mm-hmm. in World War II growing up because uh, I wouldn't even be here if my dad hadn't come back. I was born a couple of years uh, after the war, but being mm-hmm. born so close to it, uh, I always had a an, an interest in it. But no, mm-hmm. I uh, if it wasn't for you know my dad's uh, experiences, uh, I. I never would have written this book and basically it's changed my life it, mm-hmm. uh, I but you, you know you know something Stephen I'm an army brat my dad served uh, in the army you know and he made a career of it and to this day he still dabbles in it but I'm I'm listening to you and just thinking 
sometimes we can have um, an experience and not even realize we have an experience because I, I feel that I'm drawn to Army shows, Army movies. And just listening to you just now kind of made me think, is that the reason why? You know, you, does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. Because mm-hmm. yeah. I love l- looking at a good Army movie, and I'm wondering yeah. if the reason why I like that is because I'm an Army brat. <laughs> yeah, you're exposed to it, so probably, you know, that's where you get an interest. A lot of people who read my book uh, say it should be made into a movie. Um, mm-hmm. I actually really? uh, made a I actually made a 13 minute documentary short film uh, about a year ago that I entered into a number of film festivals this last year in 2020, and it it did pretty well. Mm-hmm. It's such a unique story. Uh, it was uh, on a bombing mission to Frankfurt, Germany, uh, where the the plane dropped their bombs successfully. Uh, but their mm-hmm. Bombay doors got hit by anti-aircraft fire, and they couldn't get the doors back up. And as a result, that caused a drag in the plane, and they fell behind the uh, bomber formation that was heading back uh, to England to go back to their bases. And they, the, mm-hmm. my dad's plane was singled out by two German uh, Focke-Wolf fighter planes, and in the ensuing air battle, the, the Susan Ruth was shot down. A B-17 had a 10-man crew. Uh, two of the crew members were killed in the plane, and then the other uh, members of the of the crew were able to bail out. And so the mm-hmm. book goes into detail about what happened to each member of the crew, because something different happened to each guy, and about all the Belgian people that risked their lives trying to help them uh, evade capture from the Germans. Mm-hmm. Wow. I love the cover of, of your book, Shot Down. You know, and, and by you writing parts for each each member of the crew how was that research you know how how were you able to get authentic research and able to apply it to each each crew member oh well, that's uh, that's a very good question uh well of the 10 man crew five of them made it back home but five of them unfortunately did not um but mm-hmm. of the five including my father uh you know i got information uh from them either through uh, letters or kind of uh, written accounts. Uh, My dad, like most World War II veterans, didn't talk about the war very much until 1989. Mm -hmm. And uh, a memorial was erected in the little village of Mackenwals, Belgium, just north of the French border near where the plane came down. And my Mm -hmm. dad and three other crew members that were still living at the time went over for the dedication of the memorial, and there my dad was reunited with all these Belgian people that hit him during the war, revisited these homes and farmhouses where he stayed, and that brought it all back, and he started talking about it quite a bit after that. And also, mm-hmm. one of the uh, one of the crew, uh, he took a uh, video you know, recorder with him, and he filmed everything, and so it, there's, it's hours of, uh, of footage, and you know, my dad and the other three crew members, you know, during this, their time there, they would talk about uh, experiences that they had. So I got information there. Also mm-hmm. uh, from declassified military documents, uh, mission reports, uh, bomb group and squadron diaries. But I probably would not have written the book if it wasn't for two Belgium gentlemen. 
uh, Dr. Mm-hmm. Paul Delahaye and Jacques Lalot, who were young boys during the war, and they were greatly affected by it because they saw firsthand the atrocities committed by the Nazis against their family and friends. And later in life, mm-hmm. they became local historians, and they interviewed all these Belgian people and members of the Belgium underground about events that took place involving my dad and his crew when they documented their testimony. And they gave mm-hmm. me unbelievably detailed uh, information about events that would have been lost forever without their dedicated yeah, research. So I owe them a, a huge debt. Um, mm-hmm. You know, when I was writing the book, sometimes I think to myself, gosh, when someone reads this, they're going to go, wait a minute. How does this guy know all these details <laughs> about exactly. something that, hap- that happened 70 years ago? And mm-hmm. it, it's pretty amazing how detailed the book is, but it's all based on firsthand testimony by the people who were involved uh, in the events that took place. Wow. If you if you don't mind, Stephen, I would love for you, if you can, to share with us your experience as you wrote this book, because I'm sure it had to be very emotional, especially with it involving your dad. Can you share well, with yeah, us? Your, your, sure. Your, you know how how you felt writing this with such firsthand information. It was quite a journey, you know. Uh, my big, biggest challenge was trying to, you know, how I was gonna, how to put all this information together in a, in a readable format, you know, that that flowed mm-hmm. and 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 made sense. So I kind of decided on a chronological uh, order mm-hmm. based on the letters that my dad had written. So it kind of follows my dad and you know pilot training and then you know Mm -hmm. the crews you know traveling to England and then what life was like in England and London at the time what life was like on the uh, air base what flying missions combat missions was like and I just kept learning more and more details but the the, uh, most memorable thing in uh, writing the book uh, and doing my research which I have to thank my wife for, is uh, mm-hmm. finding the German pilot that shot down my dad's plane and interviewing him oh, for the boy. book. That was oh. incredible. Wow. And during my research. It's incredible I, I, that you even found him. Yeah, I, you know, all my dad knew and all the U.S. You know, Air Force knew was that two German fighters attacked my dad's plane and shot him down, and that's all I thought I'd ever know. But one day when I was doing my research, my my wife, Glenda, just casually said, well, why don't you try to find the German pilot that shot down your dad's plane? And mm-hmm. I thought, well, she's naive. She doesn't know what she's talking about. <laughs> it would be impossible to do that. But like a good mm-hmm. husband, I did what she told me to do. And I found uh, Hans Berger's his name. And uh, interestingly, Hans Berger's the only person in, the, in my book, Snake, is called Shot Down in the shot down uh-huh. story that's still living. He's 97 mm-hmm. years wow. old now, and he lives in Munich, Germany. And fortunately for me, he became a translator after the war, so he speaks perfect English. Mm-hmm. So getting to know him, wow. and I've, I've taken a couple trips. I've been to Belgium six times, and I've been to Munich, Germany, to visit Hans a couple times. And we've become good friends. Uh, he said mm-hmm. it was too bad they had to be shooting at each other. But, you know, mm-hmm. it was war. Actually, the gunners on my dad's plane shot Hans down at the same time that he shot down my dad's plane. So they shot each other down. He bailed out mm-hmm. through the war. 
So mm-hmm. that was really oh, wow. incredible. Wow. Did he remember shooting your dad's plane down? Well, um, he remembers. Uh, yeah, he remembers uh, the moment. He didn't know, you know, who it was. It was just a American bomber that he was shooting at. But, uh, you know, he remembered the day. And when I went to visit him, he pulled out his uh, flight logbook and showed me his entry that he made on February 8th of 1944, you know, where he shot down a, an American B-17 bomber. And then he had, he was shot down and he had to bail out of his plane. So, oh, wow. uh, yeah, pretty, pretty amazing. <laughs> wow. That is amazing. Now- now, what was um, this this the process like? You know, we always talk about a gold moment here on Let's Chat, the moment when thought and execution come together. What was that moment when you decided to say, "Okay, I'm going to write this story, and I'm going to do all of this research"? What was that moment that that it clicked to you that this is what you should be doing? Well, um, you know, I started doing all this research, and, you know, the the more I research I did and the more I learned, you know, the more incredible I realized the story was. And mm-hmm. uh, initially I thought, well, I'll just kind of uh, put together something for my family, you know, a little pamphlet or something. Mm-hmm. But then it, it, it just – it was just – and, you know, not only the story of, of my dad's crew, but just the whole air war over Europe. It was just so fascinating mm-hmm. that uh, I can't really pinpoint, you know, the specific day that I came to the conclusion that I – but that I, I made the decision that well, this, this, is, this is so big and, and, and it's so fascinating that I'm, I'm going to go ahead and write a book uh, and uh, – and then once I finished my manuscript, then not having any background in writing, uh, I, I didn't know, well, now what do I do? How do I publish this? Because I uh-huh. didn't have any idea how to publish it. Uh-huh. So I researched all these different ways of publishing. And I came to the conclusion that, I, that the best way would be to start my own publishing company. So mm-hmm. I formed a limited liability corporation called Seabreeze Publishing. That's the name of the street that I live on in uh, California. Okay. And then I con- I contracted with individual professionals for all the associated services, uh, you know, editing, uh, cover design, interior layout, printing the book, uh, distribution. And so all that was mm-hmm. uh, a revelation. So, yeah, it, it was really an, uh, an, an education because I decided I really wanted a professionally done book. And then I really benefited from the fact that I had a 40-year career in sales because most people, independent authors who write a book, they go, well, now, you know, what do I do? But I had 40 years of sales uh, experience, so I I knew how to sell. And uh, basically, that's what I do every single day. I run social media. I, you know, I spend hours uh, on the Internet promoting the book and – not last year because of COVID, but in normal years, I travel all around the United States signing copies of my book at air shows, and I do a lot of presentations to all sorts of different groups. 
educating mm-hmm. them not only about uh, my dad's story, but about the air war over Europe and about, you know, the sacrifices that all the the, the men and women uh, uh, did in, during the World War II to, you mm-hmm. know, preserve freedom from the Nazis. Well, as I said a little earlier, wow. it's basically changed my life. It 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 became a new career. For me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, listen, twenty five awards. Yeah. I mean, you can't yeah, go wrong. That was awards. that was a good choice. Mm-hmm. What was that experience yeah. like when you got your first award? What was going through your mind? Oh well, I. Uh, <laughs> It was pretty exciting, I have to say. Um, I, I think mm-hmm. the awards got, I finally got up to about 30. Um, but I just had, you know, I, I believed in, in uh, the story. Uh, I believed in the book. And so I entered into all these different uh, uh, book contests and uh, was rewarded you know, with, with it receiving all these different awards. So it was, it was very gratifying. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, to to receive those, and it uh, it has a five star reader review rating on Amazon, so it's it's done mm-hmm. uh, really well. But uh, that's because of the story and uh, my diligence and of not giving up and always uh, promoting the book and in contacting anyone who might be interested in either purchasing the book or promoting the book or reviewing the book. Uh, that yeah, the biggest problem for an uh, independent author is exposure. Because no matter yeah. how good the book might be, unless people know that it exists, you know, no one's going right. to read it. So mm-hmm. that's a big challenge. That's true. I just have one quick question, um, Stephen. Would, did your dad ever get the chance to see the book or to re- to know about the book or to read the book? Unfortunately, no. Uh, my dad died in 2007, mm-hmm. and I didn't mm. decide to write. I didn't decide to write the book until 2012. Oh, so okay. yeah, it would have been it would have been fantastic if mm-hmm. uh, you know, he was still living uh, to see, you know, uh, the, what I accomplished and that I wrote about this in, in so much detail. And to be with me on this journey, I would have loved to have him come to with me, you know, to sign copies oh, of the yeah. book and uh, and and speak firsthand uh, as well. He was mm-hmm. a great man. We had a great relationship. I love it. That would have been fantastic. Mm-hmm. Now, Stephen, you're so not nice. just an author; you're a historian. Um, and and you you're using your platform to be able to educate people. Uh, which gives you a lot of power. Uh, anybody that can write has the ability to change uh, the things around them and help people to understand certain uh, things that are going on. What does that power in your pen mean to you? Oh, well, I, you know, I do have uh, a platform. Um, you know, I have quite a few followers on, on uh, Facebook. And then, you know, going to all these air shows and talking to uh, all these people, meeting people and uh, making all these presentations to groups. You know, I, I, I do have an avenue to have my voice and, and thoughts heard. So 
also it gives me an opportunity, which you know I, I'm I'm grateful for and, and privileged to do. You know, World War Two, you know, ended 75 years ago, and it's fading in people's memory. And uh, uh, my my motto or kind of tagline is, "It's our duty to remember." Um, there was no other event in history that affected more people than World War Two. Uh, 60 million people died. You know, millions more were wounded. Millions more were left homeless and displaced. It's changed the course of the United States and the world forever. And the uh, the brave young men who fought and died to preserve freedom, uh, their sacrifice, you know, can't be forgotten. Yeah. So you know that mm. that's my passion is to you know educate the public, you know, more so younger generations about the importance of remembering and honoring uh, those people that gave so much. Absolutely. That's true. So true. It's interesting that you mentioned that because just yesterday, uh, just watching the inauguration, President Biden referenced how many people died from World War II, that the pandemic has outpaced even that. And who would have thought of that? Who would have who would have known that would happen? You know, so it's yeah, just so so interesting. And it's part yeah, of our during history. World War, during World War Two, uh, well, there was a total of sixty million people who died, but four hundred and fifty thousand oh, wow. uh, U.S. military servicemen died, mm-hmm. and I think COVID's mm-hmm. now at about four hundred thousand. So yeah, it is it is uh, approaching approaching that. Right. But well, we, you, know, you one have thing... so educated us. <laughs> <laughs> we so appreciate well, you coming in. Go ahead. Yeah. Um, no. Well, it, it's uh, it's it's my pleasure. I appreciate you having me on uh, your 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 show. Mm-hmm. And you are welcome and back. Welcome back here. Absolutely. Absolutely. We thank you for mm-hmm. sharing just your time, your space, your energy, your 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 love of the craft, and your historical um, mind. I mean, I love I love history, so I love to be able to experience things like that. And I'm glad that you were able to come on and just and give us that experience here on Let's Chat. We want you to shout out all of your social media where everyone can get your book. If you have a website, make sure you mention that as well. Okay. Well, the, the the title of the book is Shot Down, The True Story of Pilot Howard Snyder and the Crew of the B-17 Susan Roof. Uh, most people get the book on Amazon. Um, you know, the vast majority of books that are purchased are purchased on Amazon. But uh, mm-hmm. per, if somebody wants an autographed copy of the book, they can go to my website. Uh, my website is stevesnyderauthor.com. Snyder spelled S N Y D E R, Steve Snyder Author.com. And besides just information about the book, there's a great deal of historical information about the air war over Europe and World War II, uh, so people can get a, a gain a lot of knowledge. There's interviews from veterans on there, uh, archival footage, uh, mm-hmm. links to various uh, historic w- websites. So there's a great deal of information on there. It's just not about my book. So either Amazon okay. or uh, stevesnyderauthor.com uh, to get shot down. 
The awesome. true story thank of pilot so Howard much. Snyder and the crew of the B-17, Susan Ruth. Well, thank you. Thank and, you. And I'm, I'm and seeing the movie. Great I'm seeing the movie. Okay. <laughs> I'm seeing the movie. I'm just saying. Don't forget to when the movie comes Hopefully. out, the documentary. There you go. <laughs> you're starting. You're starting the movement here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I also have a YouTube channel that has lots of interviews on it too. Oh goodness! Wow. What's your YouTube channel? Um, tell us oh your gosh. YouTube channel. <laughs> you would ask me that. Um, <laughs> I forget what the I forget what the uh, ULR is. Uh, let me. They can probably search Steve just, Snyder, maybe. Just, uh, if, if you Google Steve Snyder author, or if you just go to YouTube and just mm-hmm. put in Steve okay. Snyder author, it'll come up. Okay. There's okay. lots of, of videos on there, plus my documentaries well, on there. Well, thank you so much. Thank you. We you appreciate you. Have Stay a great safe. evening. All right. Bye bye. Oh, that was that awesome. Was awesome. I felt well, like we got a love it. We did. I love I love historical stuff. Um, I love to listen and, and experience and hear things about World War Two. And I mean, I got a whole crafted, twisted uh, <laughs> thing that I, I love to talk about and just experience. So I love that he he came on and shared that with us. Welcome, 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 y'all. Welcome to Last Chat. This is Miss Felicia. You know I got my right hand, and most of the time she is my left, the fabulous Miss Sony. We're going to take a brief break, and we will be back with the fabulous Sylvester Boyd. Okay. Busting my tail on a nine to five Just to keep up, try to stay alive Promise my lady we gon' be alright She be crying while she praying for a better life Hustling on the side for a bag of rice Gotta feed the fam, gotta pay the price Gotta keep trucking through the Georgia clay Gotta stay searching for a better day Gotta keep my faith to make a way Gotta get extended so the gas can pay Sweet Georgia, hold me down Keep my feet planted on solid ground From the New York home to the Florida shine Up to the Maryland, D.C. line
So we're giving it to you, Queen Latifah. You know she got the Flavor Unit, which is her production company. They might love that book as well to be able to turn into a movie. That's like her thing. I love that. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, I uh, feel it, it is that, that kind of material. But I'm, I'm trying to finish the fourth book. Uh, so it's uh, mm-hmm. just one right to that. I wasn't going to do a fourth book, but the publisher says, hey, that we want to see a – we want to wrap it all the way up, so uh, we got to go, mm-hmm. and that'll probably take me about another year to to really do a good job on that and take it through editing and in that process. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Now, did you see yourself writing four books when you started out this journey? No, I didn't. Uh, basically, mm-hmm. I've done so many things. I'm, I'm going to tell you my age. I'm 77, so I've uh, okay. lived that 70, 77 <laughs> years. Uh, I was mm-hmm. one of the first chiefs at American Airlines, uh, which a crew chief is in charge of the people that load aircraft. And I was at the O'Hare Field here in, in uh, Chicago, and uh, mm-hmm. I was one of the first African-American crew chiefs that, in that position. I also had the pleasure of working with a gentleman who just passed away, Jim Tillman. He was the first African-American captain for American Airlines. So uh, that, that was interesting. Uh, and I, I ran a business for 20 years. Uh, I was in the advertising specialty business, and I did business with people like uh, Coors Out of Golden, Colorado, Hershey, Pennsylvania, Hershey Chocolate Company, 7-Up uh, out of, uh, at that time, they were in Clayton, Missouri. Uh, so uh, just, uh, and I was a chief cook and bottle washer. It was a company that I started, and uh, that I just feel I could do that, and I've always been of the mind, and I was taught anything that your mind can uh, conceive, you can achieve. So uh, yeah, that's absolutely. kind of the way I've I, I led my life that way. Uh, basically, I've taught school in Chicago. That's something else I've done. I've been a teacher. Uh, I've had, up until this time, I've had a full, full life and never had a time to let my grass grow under my feet. And I always figure if you got time to let grass grow under your feet, then you, you, you um, you're not doing something right. That's right. You got time to find something to do. Absolutely. And I love that you took this uh, this story and you talked about your aunt's life. I love talking about history. Uh, a lot of people don't know, but I am ancestry.com is my favorite. It's my best friend, um, and I do. I'm always digging into my family's history. Uh, my great grandmother was actually born in Holly Springs, Mississippi, in 1960. So I love how you have taken this story from your aunt and you have expanded that and, and taken it and showed her journey to Chicago. But we always don't want to talk about a goal moment. Uh, a goal moment is when thought and execution come together. A lot of times we're really mindful about how we treat other people, how we pour into other people, but when it comes to ourselves, we got to give ourselves excuses on why we can't do something right now. Uh, what was your goal moment like when you decided to pick up a pen and write your aunt's story? Well, I thought uh, basically I, upon her death, uh, you know, uh, she was like a mother to me. And uh, my mom, she used to be jealous of, you know, the relationship sometimes, I think. But basically she was like a mother to me, and uh, she raised me. Uh, I had a uh, lecture train in one of the rooms of her house that encompassed the whole room, and uh, so wow. that and I had a bunch of sisters and brothers. I was the oldest, 
But on the weekends, my mother, I never I never stayed at my mother's house on the weekend. And during the summer, it was my aunt's house. Couldn't get there quick enough. And so uh, she set an example. She traveled all over the world. Uh, she went to, when she was 79, she went to the Far East. She actually stood on the Great Wall of China. She went to Manila, Manila uh, the Philippines, Manila, uh, Vietnam. She she was quite the lady. Mm-hmm. Wow, uh, and, quite the lady. And I think I, I think what what we need to do is to know our history. Not enough uh-huh. of our young folks know know history. It's not taught history. I've been a teacher in the, in the public school system, so I somewhat uh-huh. know what the kids are taught, and they're not taught uh, real history. Uh, the only uh, European history or white history is what they get in the class, you know. Uh, we might talk about George Washington Carver, a couple of people who are African-American, but they're not taught Native American history. They're not taught Spanish-American history. They're not taught Asian history. You, In order to uh, live in this world, you really should and really get the full meaning of this world that you live in. You, you have to know more than about people that look like you, act like you, and think like you. That That's thinking right. has got mm-hmm. us the world today. So when mm-hmm. I know as much about Spanish history as I do African-American history. I have a degree in, in mm-hmm. history, and I have a degree in geography. Okay. Now, this is Tony, um, Dr. Boyd. I have a question. Since you didn't start this journey out to write for a book, what are the challenges that you have to expand it and make it good reading, that you keep the reader's, you know, attention, since it initially started out as just one book? What challenges are you facing? Well, you know, I look at it like this. I, you know, I started, first of all, I, I wrote about a subject that I knew. A very, nobody knows the subject better than me. So that helped a lot. Uh, second of all, uh, I did take some courses in college, you know, uh, not a lot of writing courses, but some courses. So I did have a basic. Uh, but you do find that the challenges come in it's a lot of editing. It's a lot of making sure the commas in the right places and the periods in the right place, and to keep your action moving forward, keep your characters in your book moving to the, from one scene to the next, where the it's a, t- a page turner. Both books, by the way, have won uh, uh, four star awards. Uh, excuse me, five star awards from a reader's favorite. So they've both been award winning books. And I never wrote a book. I never thought about a wrote book until my aunt died. So. It's a matter of you thinking you can do something because the minute you don't think you can do something, you won't. The minute you think you can do a thing, you will. And uh, that's mm-hmm. uh, sort of the thing. I just said, I'm going to write a book. I, her life is very interesting, and uh, it it turned out, uh, has turned out very well. Mm-hmm. Wow. Now, you know, Leisha and I are book bougie here. I'm sorry, Leisha. Here on that yes, chat. You know, we embrace that bougie this right now. And one of the things that we always pay attention to are book titles. And you have The Road from Money, but you also have a subtitle, A Journey to Find Why. Why does subtitle and how much of a part does it play in your book? Quite a, quite a bit, because she always wanted to understand why people did the things they did, uh, you know, coming from the South and being uh, uh, 
uh, really seeing the brutality of the South back in the, you know, you're talking 1917 around World War One, uh, and blacks in the South really had a rough road to hold in, uh, literally. And uh, she always wanted to know why people, one human uh, being would treat other human beings so cruelly and, and do the things that she saw. She actually saw people being, uh, saw people lynched. Uh, so she came from that background of why is this? And she always questioned things. And she taught me never take anything for granted to always question uh, the things that you think and, and, and always challenge what you see in the newspaper or what you hear on the radio. Always think for mm-hmm. yourself. Don't let other people think for you. So the journey to find why was that in her. That was part of her. She always wanted to know why this and why that. And so I thought that would be a appropriate subtitle. Okay. I agree. I love it. And I love the concept behind it. Um, you're going to have to keep us up to date. I mean, when the, the filming starts, I, I see this on TV, especially in the age that we are in now. Uh, not too many plays, mm-hmm. a lot of things on TV. And I see this going to television. And we're excited for you. Um, we want you to make sure you come back and share your experience for your next level. Because you're about to step into that. And so we're glad to have touched paths with you on your journey, um, Mr. Boyd. We want you to shout out all of your social media where everyone can get your books and if you have any upcoming events. Okay. Well, you can get my book at boydbooks.net. Boydbooks.net. And uh, it's on Amazon, but uh, it can be, it, it, I can autograph it. If you go to boydbooks.net, I can get you an autographed copy out. Mm-hmm. And uh, and your you, social media. Uh, yes. And uh, basically, uh, we can ship it right from right right away. You'll get it almost immediately. Okay. Okay. Absolutely. Well, you know that you are welcome here on Let's Chat anytime, Mr. Boyd. We appreciate you sharing your time, your space, and your energy with us. Um, we appreciate you. We appreciate you yes, for, wanting, for wanting to, well, to give us a piece of history. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I appreciate being here. Uh you know, like I said, I I could probably take the whole program up, and uh, I have several interviews. I have another interview tomorrow, as a matter of fact, uh, of just the history, because I actually get into African American history, and I, I take us from 1619 all the way to the current political crisis that we have, and I show the connectivity from one thing into the other, uh, how what happened in 1917 affects us to this day with Black Lives Matter. And I show the connectivity of things. Uh, everything is connected mm-hmm. to something else. There's nothing that, that happens in a void. And so that is sort of the, the program that I talk. Uh, I do a motivational speaking. And uh, basically I try to get across to young, especially African-American uh, children and youth, uh, that history is very important. Uh, mm-hmm. it's, uh, we don't give it the type of uh, attention I think we should because you get a sense of pride from history. And you, uh-huh. you learn that uh, all the people that uh, we have that gone before us are part of us. And uh, not only that, you learn that, uh, you know, you got people like 
Muhammad Ali and the Tuskegee Airmen and the uh, Harlem Hellfighters in World War, World War One, uh, just mm-hmm. a whole host of folks and Dr. Charles Drew and George Washington Carver and and it gives you such a sense of pride in who you are and and, and we are great people. Uh, if I died tomorrow and and they, they picked the I could pick a race, I would come back the way I am. I think my people are some of the greatest people on earth. Uh, they they've achieved such remarkable things and being held one hand by, behind their back most of the time. So uh, that is the way I, I approach uh, the, the subject. I, I take it as, as uh, we are a great people. Uh, we have been not told that we are great people. So you have to figure, we had to figure that out as a race for ourselves. And to have mm-hmm. self-confidence, uh, you, if you don't have self-confidence in yourself, no one else can have self-confidence in you, so, uh, for you. Right. So confidence is right. a very, very important thing. Mm-hmm. I agree. Okay. I agree. Your confidence, and, uh, your, your confidence creates the energy. Your energy speaks before you even walk into a room and open up your mouth. So um, that is so very true, and I'm glad that you are. I'm glad that we have you to be able to educate and and grow us just as a community, um, our children especially, to give them what, what mm-hmm. they are lacking. Um, we're going to do a, like a genealogy show. We always do one once a year. We're going to bring you back on for that show as well. Um, love to be able to talk that talk with you just in the historical realm as well. We want you to... Uh, we want to thank you for coming and kicking with us this evening on Let's Chat. And we want you to have a great Thank night. you, Mr. Boyd. Thank you. Well, thank you. And I've enjoyed being here. Thank you for having me. You're very welcome. You have a great evening. You also. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Great show, Lee. Great show, T. Oh, that was so interesting. I can't wait till we have the the history night where he can come and talk and be able to uh, dig deep into uh, history because, you know, we love to experience Mm -hmm. that. Um, We appreciate you guys coming to kick it with us today in the chat room. We want you to make sure if you're just tuning in, hey, y'all, head over to our archives. (laughs) You'll be able to check out our archives at blogtalk.com as well as iTunes and iHeartRadio. If you would mm-hmm. like to be a guest on Thanks. Chat Radio, send your request to the Chat Radio Show at gmail.com. Go ahead, see. And let them know, make sure they tune in tomorrow. We'll be on our live set. We won't be in the studio, the radio studio. Just check us out. Let's chat live tomorrow. Absolutely. We'll see you guys tomorrow night. Have a good night. Stay safe.